Hello and welcome to the instalment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. On today's episode, we'll be looking at why the European Super League failed and who the winners and losers are from the proposals. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube. Good afternoon, Etches. How are you doing? Yeah, fine. Thanks, mate. Um, how are your trainers? Uh, my trainers aren't good. Just a bit of context. Yeah, I got a little bit merry yesterday and when ordering food, spilled sweet chili sauce all over some brand new white trainers. Just a bit of context there. And I think it's important to add as well that um, Dryden has a very poor wardrobe. So for him to have bought new <laughs> shoes, for him to have bought new shoes and to ruin them straight away is honestly a travesty. So I'm, I'm very sorry that happened to you, mate, but it was very funny to watch. A very poor wardrobe. <laughs> Get that on my gravestone. <laughs> Great man. Poor wardrobe. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, I think obviously today's episode is mostly uh, about the failed European Super League. Uh, spoiler. Um, yeah, no longer ex- no, It no longer exists. It's been under a cave for the past two weeks or week. Uh, the European Super League came and went very quickly. I think uh, the maddest thing about it is obviously, you know, last Sunday, we had this big confirmation from the 12 clubs saying that, oh, we're going to form this new league and, you know, it's going to be 15 and five more are going to be added and all of basically the mechanics about how it would work. Then in a miraculous 72 hours, 48 yeah. hours, you know, uh, teams started withdrawing, which led to essentially all of the big six from England. So Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea, Man City, Tottenham and Arsenal withdrawing. Then I think after that, you had a few more teams. I think Atletico, uh, AC Milan and Inter Milan, I believe, also withdrew. Um, hmm. So which, which was yeah. which was a really a crazy period of time. One, the fact that it erupted in the first place, which we'll go uh, on to a bit later on, but mostly as well about how quickly these teams kind of withdrew. The most noticeable thing um, or absence was the lack of presence from German sides because um, we, we before, another alert for you guys, we did an episode on this back in August and um, mm, back then we absolutely. we looked into all of the sides involved and Bayern Munich actually were involved in it but they were said to be at the time uncomfortable with doing a league against the wishes of UEFA which could make sense as to why they weren't in it this time mm. and hans Jakim Watzke uh, Dortmund basically said that he'll never do a Super League. So as the, <laughs> he's, he's still involved with the club, so you can, you can see why he wouldn't join as well. And for clubs like PSG, it's just a massive mystery. Um, you know, it's a huge to... mystery with PSG. <laughs> they're, seen as the big, they're seen as the bad guys, aren't they, in football, like, away yeah. from this. Um, so yeah, it's bizarre. No, it, it is a mad one, but I think you know we'll come to PSG a little bit later on as to uh, why they didn't join. Yeah, definitely. I think one thing that perhaps hasn't been discussed too much is kind of this almost like formal element to it. So, like, I know it's a poor excuse if clubs are going to go with that, <laughs> go with that argument as if to say, like, oh yeah, we only just signed up because you know these other teams signed up, and therefore we're not in the, we're not in the wrong. But if you imagine being one of those clubs and like the bigger clubs, i.e., in Europe, i.e., Manchester United, Juve, Real, for example, are all signing up and championing the Super League, then. It's either it's either you you do it as well, you back it as well, or 
you don't, you might end up, you know, if it actually went ahead, then you might end up, um, but you're obviously missing the party, aren't you? And missing the benefits that come from it. So I can, it hasn't really been mentioned too much. And I could see it being a factor for some of these clubs involved. I think people have looked at like Atletico Madrid mm. as an example, because they are historically, well, historically seen as like the, the Madrid's working, working man's team, yeah. opposed to kind of the Royalist Real Madrid yeah. and say, well, you know, <laughs> how, how much are they really for the working man when they joined this, this project? But I feel there might be a bit of formal, a bit of a you know, a bit of a formal element involved, which might have drawn a lot of these clubs to actually um, sign up for the for the proposals. I mean, one of the most important things to reiterate to anyone listening and to anyone that sees this pod is clubs do not care about the fans. I think uh, mm. part part of the problem I have, or the biggest clubs anyway, part of the problem I have with a lot of the ESL um, generally is that there's this assumption of like, oh yeah, like the fans matter and like the club should care. The first point is true. Fans absolutely matter and they're key mm. to football. Yeah. But I think a lot of fans are deluded. Like you look at the, like why would, a good example is you won't drag on too much before we've got other points to discuss. Why would you tell me right now? Why would the Glazers care about me watching Man United? And why? Mm. And why should they? If you're letting foreigners into these clubs, then you know they can do what they want. And that's yeah. not to say, oh, there can't be foreign investment. And oh, look at Roman Abramovich. Yeah, that's brilliant. Like he supports Chelsea, but there's this, this general assumption like these clubs are meant to care about the fans, and they should. But football has moved on so past that now, where these are just huge, huge organisations. And unfortunately, for me, it's all about the profits. Yeah, absolutely. You look at why these owners invest in the first place. Like, I mean, they might be they might be football fans. They might be big soccer fans. You know, people the Glazers. They might have looked at the Premier League and thought, "Yeah, this is really good. I really enjoy the sport, and I'm going to get involved." The more <laughs> likely reason is that they saw it as an investment opportunity. Mm. You know, there's, there's there's huge reward in football. But there's also huge risk, as we've seen. Obviously, you can get relegated in a lot of European leagues in the US and um, in a number of sports in the US. You you can't get relegated. So. The rewards there, so it's almost this point that they've take Fenway Sports Group for example. They've come to Liverpool, they've come to England, they've invested money. They have benefited hugely from the current structure. And you think about when pre club before they came in, um, what happens if a Super League had been touted then and they weren't invited? They were just strongly yeah. opposed it, and they've yeah. they've benefited from the reward that has come from basically the current status quo. And now champion this this um, the Super League, and they also tried, they also championed the uh, project Big Picture, um, which almost seems like a lifetime ago, but was basically the Premier League trying to take more control, um, and again reduce the risk. But you can't you can't have it both ways. So I just no, you can't. I find it just I just, I just find it um, horrific, really. The plans. No, I completely agree with you. And moving on, we kind of move on to the really big point, which is why did it fail? Now, researching this pod, I think one of the things I realized was that no one really knows the answer. You Google mm-hmm. it and you'll read loads of articles from loads of companies, loads of podcasts, all with the title of why did European Super League fail? Even this pod might have that as a title. Or <laughs> but it, it, it's an extremely difficult point to answer because I think it's so complex. You know, I've had debates with you about it. I've had debates with my friends, my dad, etc. And I think there's multiple reasons why, you know, I think the greed and arrogance of these huge, uh, massive organizations and their owners, they underestimate the backlash of fans across the country. But Mm. I think it's naive to say that because a couple of fans rocked up outside Stamford Bridge and Frank Lampard is rumored to be in the crowd that, (laughs) that, you know, like Roman Ramich saw him and thought, oh God, Lampard's there. Like, you know, I have to pull out of the ESL. I don't think that's the the case at all. Yeah, the guy he sacked. The guy he sacked. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's the case at all. You know, social media accounts on Wolves, Southampton, West Ham, 
or criticizing the ESL. I, I don't think that's the reason, or that, I don't think that's the main reason. I think the reason why City and Chelsea got cold feet as they were the two to be rumored uh, to be withdrawing first. I think Chelsea did withdraw first. Was that I think they seemed ill prepared for the revolt, which is one and backtracked. Mm. But also, the reason why they weren't one of the main organizers says a lot more than actually people are you know giving credit to and that is they have the least to gain i think the yeah. bulk of the clubs in the esl uh fall into a few categories they either have ridiculous debt so barca and real they aren't competitive so arsenal are abysmal tottenham aren't very good <laughs> and others like need want to dominate europe and need extra cash to do so and also have debt so i'm thinking of juventus with the expensive mistake in cristiano ronaldo and inter milan as well Chelsea and City are the so-called new money guys, right? Where mm. they're the people that 10 years ago, Chelsea's was 15, 16 years ago, people are complaining and crying that these guys are coming in with their money bags, changing football. And I think now that they're on the other side and they've now been accepted to this big round table, they don't need the ESL as much as people like AC Milan or Arsenal because I think the fear for these ES ESL club sides is being left behind. And I think mm. the clubs that are pushing that cart to leave teams behind are your cities, are your Chelsea's, are your Bayern's. And I think yeah. it's people like Arsenal who are holding on by the coattail trying to keep up. And that's what the ESL would have given them. It would have given them this extra influx of cash where they're protected and they can grow just as much as everyone else and get a piece of the pie, so to speak. We've kind of celebrated the fall of the ESL, but you know, Football's just closed off anyway. And yeah, I've mentioned this countless times to the point where I should be banned from saying it on different pods, different episodes. I could be talking about my Sunday roast and I'll still mention it. <laughs> and it's just that football's so predictable. You know, you can go read the Champions League winners from the 80s and early 90s. You've got teams like Red Star, Belgrade, Hamburg, Villa, yeah. um, Benfica, Porto in, in those uh, around that time. You look at the Champions League post 2000 really got Porto as the anomaly in 2004 and it's the usual suspects United mm. Madrid Barca Bayern yeah. Chelsea City are a missing link in, in PSG but who else are we going to see there are some yeah. finalists that have lost Tottenham you know Juventus Dortmund mm. but generally speaking you know we've got the German champions who have been congratulated by the German FA for not joining PSL <laughs> yeah. oh fantastic well this is the same side that's wrapped up your league in yeah, the last eight to agree. nine years Manonoy must be bored. How many treble titles <laughs> has he picked up? I don't know that for a fact. I know he's got at least one. But if you think about the number of okay, uh, DFB Pokals he's picked up, number of league titles, PSG are the same. Emery lost once to um, Leandro Jardim's Monaco, but apart from that, it's been a walk. And people will then turn and say to me, oh, but this year is really tight. So? The last yeah. decade? Mm. The last decade, you know, these two sides have walked their leagues yet we're congratulating them and saying, oh, yeah, it's brilliant. Like ESL's won football's back to normal, where it's far from normal. You know, Chelsea, we're saying, oh, yes to them. They haven't won a league in a good while, but their financial might is so strong that they'll yeah. be able to do that again. Mm. City are controlled by a state, which in itself yeah. is dodgy, and have such ridiculous resource that luckily without Liverpool, they would have walked the league the last five years. But, you know, yeah. what fans of media have fought for in this short space of time we've quietly slept on this major issue in all the big leagues which is they're massively predictable and with ffp in place which is dodgy within itself the same size grow larger and larger and larger and larger and what happens is is that the best teams just get bigger and bigger and bigger and the rest stay behind 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, what football shouldn't do, and I think what, what will happen, and you touched on it, is forget about these events and just return to the status quo, which I kind of get the impression, you know, we've got the, the, the Carabao Cup final today uh, coming up. Um, and if we get to the, towards the end of the season, you've got the Champions League last stages. I have a feeling we're just going to forget about this eventually. Yeah. And it, that's not good, though, because the status quo isn't sustainable. So football in its current form isn't sustainable. It's all well and good. Pep Guardiola saying that the, AC, the ASL would have been anti-competitive. He's completely right. The mm. relationship between risk and reward that he discussed about, he discussed, is completely right. But how is the Premier League currently competitive? His <laughs> <laughs> his side. I mean, what what was the start since he's joined? They spent over what several hundred million pounds yeah. on players. How is that competitive? I just think it's you know, I get that a lot of these teams are obviously competing with one another in Europe. But to an extent, they are the problem. So the reason why football has inflated so much is that a lot of these teams don't trust each other. They don't. The leagues don't trust one another, and therefore you have this influx of money and spending to make sure that the, these teams are com- consistently uh, competing at Champions League level every year and consistently doing well in their leagues. And then it, they're all banding together now to say, "Oh no, we think it's um, <laughs> we think football is unsustainable. We think we're losing money now." That's all band together after, after being competing with each other for so many years. I just find it. I just find it disgusting. And, we, and also, we shouldn't forget as well. We should not forget that. You remember, I mentioned it earlier, Project Big Picture. Yeah. The Premier League, if the Premier League could get its way, I think the Premier League would break off. And you'd see teams like Wolves then suddenly championing this this kind of closed Premier League because it would benefit them. Like Football clubs are so self-serving. And I, just, I do find it a little bit um, hypocritical because the, the Premier League project, you know, came in in 92 the influx of Sky, this commercialisation of football, it's not too dissimilar to the sort of values that the ESL is, is building, this idea that to commercialise the game, to have it on TV and to have these big teams playing each other consistently. I mean, how many, How? What, I don't know the stats and I tried to find it on Google. What percentage of games are Manchester United on TV? Quite a lot. So the yeah. Premier League and Sky have helped create this behemoth that is, that is Manchester United, create this monster. And now that monster is trying to break away they're suddenly seen it's unethical, but they've benefited from this status quo. Yeah, it's it's, it's just bizarre, and it, I hope it's changed football. But I just think we're going to we're just going to go back to the status quo, which is a shame. You hit the nail on the head there, where you know sports clubs are self-serving, but where does it end? You know, even the media and the fans. So, for example, which really made me laugh about the ESL is. The Athletic are being like, how bad is the European Super League? And, <laughs> they are the Super League. Yeah, and, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> and you're getting Gary Neville being like, I'll never work with the European Super League. It's like, what, what do you not understand? I'm paying you, The Athletic. Yes, I'm paying you £60 or whatever it is a year for subscription media. What you've gone and done is you've taken David Ornstein, who was free. He was on BBC. <laughs> I can now no longer see his contact as an Arsenal fan because you have taken it away from me yeah. and making yeah. me pay for it. Gary Neville, no one can watch your TV for free. Like, what? Yeah. Do you, I don't understand how you don't see it. Like, everyone has an agenda. I think what I would love to have seen from people, especially in the media and clubs, not clubs because clubs are involved in it, was this is the advantages that we have and this is what we've done wrong in football from our side. So Gary Neville would be like, Sky should be free or it shouldn't be free, but it should be cheaper or there should be more games yeah. on television. But also the European Super League is bad. Not everything I have done is fantastic. There's no, I'm not part of the problem, but the European yeah. Super League is. And that's what it kind of was. It's like, 
well, okay, David Ornstein, yeah, great, you hit European Super League, but I can't read your content without paying like £10 a month, wherever it is. So yeah, no, who, 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 who are you to say? But one thing we need to kind of touch on as well is, you know, how the European Super League came about. And, and that's because of these huge changes being given to the Champions League, um, which is kind of what people thought. They thought that they being, the bluff was being called because the European Super League came out just before they agreed in the new Champions League. So what's happened yep. there is they've given a green light for 36-team Champions League reform, uh, which would include a single league format to replace the group stage. You know, that reminds you of that absolutely ridiculous um, International Champions Cup they used to do in pre-season, where they had like 20, oh, yeah. te- they had like 20 teams. Arsenal play Fiorentina, Real Madrid, and then Inter, and they'd win two games, draw one, <laughs> and win the whole competition. It's like, right. Do you know what I mean? It's like absolutely yeah. ridiculous. But it's similar to that, where you don't play everyone, but you play quite a few teams. The changes are meant to come into effect in 2024. Uh, the games are set to be played on Thursdays instead of Tuesday and Wednesday with the playoff round added to the first stage. Uh, the traditional group concept, which has seen four teams compete in eight pools with two qualifying spots, will be scrapped in favour of a league, including all 36 teams, as I mentioned before. Mm. All fixtures are drawn out of a pot uh, with a seed being driven by uh, UEFA coefficient, which is the same as before. Each team will play 10 games uh, in total, home and away, uh, and the top eight automatically qualify for the last sixteen. I think the the most of it is kind of talking about how they all qualify as well. So I think mm. teams that finish lower than twenty fourth will be uh, out of the competition completely, and then the certain positions you can qualify for different stages of the competition, i.e., the Europa League and maybe the conference as well. I'm not too sure, but I think mm. the most important bit about it rather than reading all the points of the new Champions League is the final two places in the Champions League would go to clubs with the high highest coefficient over the last five years that have not qualified for the Champions League but have qualified for either the Europa League and the Europa League mm. Conference and that yeah. is a really really big point which we'll come up to a little bit later on because of what the big clubs complained about originally which drove their move to the ESL. Yeah, definitely. Did you, did you see Ilka Gundogan? He um, he came out on Twitter and uh, voiced his basically his, his discuss for um, the UCL, the Champions League uh, reformatting, which I thought was interesting because I don't, I'm not so sure that would have happened pre kind of ESL. So pre that debacle, I'm not so sure, so, so certain. Sorry, that Gundogan, a player like him, would have came out and basically been so outspoken about you know the re- reformatting of what is. Um, you know, is kind of the money spinner for him and for his club. Um, so I thought that I thought that was really interesting. I completely forgot about a Europa Conference League as well and how that's coming in. But it's just more games, isn't it? But where does it where does it end? What happens if there was a Super League and you know that got that settled in and you know the, five ten years down the line and everyone's enjoying that, everyone's consuming that, and everyone yada yada yada. And then these clubs continue to want to grow. So what happens then? Do they break off again? <laughs> do yeah, we create more? Do we just create more games in the Champions League currently? Is that is is that the is that the answer? I just find it bizarre. Well, you touched on um, the players in the ESL and their disgust or dislike for the ESL and the new Champions League. Uh, I completely agree with you. Whether you would have said anything beforehand, I think um, one thing players are very good at is people forget that they're they're employed by a club. Mm. And often it's like, oh yeah, like Jordan Henderson. My, one of my friends said to me, oh yeah, Jordan Henderson is the captain of captains. He's posted um, this picture saying he doesn't want to join the European <laughs> Super League. When Jordan Henderson posted that picture, right, 
that was Tuesday, very late on Tuesday, I believe. By the time we had already realised that these clubs are going to withdraw. The players yeah. aren't silly, just like Gundogan. They know fully well that to come out on a whim when this is really early on. So let's say Monday morning, it was widespread news, right? If Gundogan yeah. started saying then the new Champions League's rubbish, if Raheem Sterling started saying ESL's rubbish then it would be completely different. But these players mm. kind of choose specific times as to when they should say it because at the end of the day, it affects um, their employer. But, mm. you know, so it, that's a different d- discussion altogether. But moving on to his disgust, Ilkay Gundogan's disgust about the ESL, the big clubs are also unhappy with it originally because what they wanted were less sides, not more, which is what we covered mm. in our original topic yeah. back in August. They wanted old successful sides to be awarded places. Now, that actually ties into that coefficient spot thing I spoke about before. And the reason yeah. why it's really relevant is I looked at the last few years for Europa League and um, the coefficients and who would qualify where. If the new Champions League was implemented this year, Liverpool and I believe Chelsea, I can't remember who's in top four, but Liverpool and Chelsea, well, at the time I read it, would have been the two teams that would qualify for Europa but go into the Champions League. Last should be Arsenal because Arsenal mm. qualified for the Europa League with the coefficient is the top five in um, top five out of the teams that haven't actually qualified. Sorry, not top five. Sorry, it's let's start again. <laughs> it's the highest out of teams that haven't already qualified for the Champions League. So they would have gone straight in. And morally, that's not good. We came like eighth. We qualified because we won the FA Cup. And it just doesn't really particularly sit well with me. But what I'm trying to highlight to you is that actually a lot of these changes are actually because the UEFA are trying to compromise with the old sides. Another one was about money distribution. So the new CLF format guarantees more money for the bigger sides, but nowhere near mm. as much as the ESL. So I think what we're seeing in terms of fans being unhappy and seeing players being unhappy is because UEFA, no matter how strong they may look because of the ESL squashing, they're still being dictated and controlled by these big clubs. Mm, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, when I mentioned earlier about uh, Pep Guardiola and the, the whole relationship between risk and reward and how I think it's flawed that they're making that argument because the Premier League is not competitive and to an extent they are a big part of that because of the, the money that's came in. Um, but where where's the where is the relationship between risk and reward if you're finishing eighth and qualifying for the Champions League? Like, where... Mm. where it's abs- I just find it I find it absolutely bonkers. I mean, Agnelli, Andrea Agnelli, one of the champions of um, the European Super League, chairman of, of Juventus, he said it himself last year. Clubs are investing money. So play, playing devil's advocate for a second, like there must be some arguments in favour of why an ESL either should work or is necessary. So we discussed about how football is not currently sustainable mm-hmm. um, in its in its current format. I do to a very small extent get the argument that the investors or shareholders or whoever within Juventus and other clubs are investing money into a sport and the risk is very, very high. Obviously, the reward is incredibly high. I mentioned FSG, FMW Sports Group, who own Liverpool, who have benefited hugely. You know, the Klopp era, as you call it, at Liverpool. You know, Liverpool's value as a club must have multiplied um, and they must have made fortunes from their recent uh, success. But I do, to an extent, get the idea that Football benefits and has benefited from this investment. We love football in its current form, even though it's unsustainable, and we consume that. Part of that is a byproduct of the investment these people have put in. So I do to an extent get why they think, well, we're putting money in. And Perez said it himself, Florentino, Florentino Perez, said that 
the, the clubs at the top are making a loss and the clubs at the bottom are making profit because they're essentially latching on to the to the um the product that has been built by these clubs. I don't actually agree with that. I'm playing devil's advocate, but I do to an extent get why they're saying that. But it's just flawed, man. Like where's the relationship between risk and reward? So Agnelli said that Atalanta, you know, shouldn't he didn't agree with Atalanta being part of the, the Champions League because um, they historically haven't been in the competition. Well, they, they finished in top four. They deserved it. They qualified. Yeah. How can you say that? That's why people love sport. They love opportunity and opportunis- opportunistic clubs. And how can you say they don't deserve to be there when they, they finished in the qualification places? I just find it um, absolutely bizarre. But, I mean, as a summary to that, we do slate Juve, for example, and Agnelli because of the ESL, and they're a major part of that. Mm-hmm. But we also love Cristiano Ronaldo, and they pay his wages. So it, it, it's the point I'm trying to get at, there is a point that whilst money in the game is to an extent ruining it, it's also part of, part of what has made the sport what it is today. And we enjoy that. No, I completely agree with you to, to an extent. I think, yeah, I think these clubs do. Alan Sugar once said, we did a pod on it ages ago, that he, when he was in charge of Tottenham, you can't run Tottenham like a normal business because football doesn't work that way. And mm. that's the whole point, right? You know, clubs are saying Arsenal have to spend two hundred million this summer to get anywhere. Okay, what happens if they don't? Mm. Then what do they then do? You keep investing and investing, and investing until it works. That's essentially what City do. The clubs don't actually. Not many clubs. Very few. I'm talking three or four clubs have the money to do so. Bayern have the luxury of saying to any young talent in their country, "Don't sign a new contract. We'll pick you up for free." Yeah. PSG have unlimited resources. Chelsea and City have unlimited resources. Liverpool are probably the, the example where they've structured themselves quite well and, and, and tried to now spend within their means. But originally, it was all a big gamble. They were spending, mm. they were buying players for 30, 40 million and now they've increased it even further. But because they've managed to actually deliver, but that's what I'm saying. Imagine if they didn't. So they'd be Arsenal for the top four with, I think they had Mane at the time. Imagine if they didn't. They then say, okay, mm. well, we have to invest even more to potentially get there and the risk becomes higher and higher and higher and higher. So I do completely agree with it. And Kind of to look at it, uh, you know, to taking away from all of this, and there's, there's a lot of points to kind of go on about. I think what's really gripped me about this whole saga is how many parties away from football have really seemed to care and been interested. You know, Boris Johnson got really involved in James Corden. And it's like, what? Like, to hear mm. the Prime Minister, like, obviously this pod isn't political, but to hear the Prime Minister discuss football yeah. in particular so quickly as well is actually mad. And for James Corden to go on the Saturday night, wherever it, the Late Late Show, wherever he's on, which is an American audience, who probably don't actually care that much for the ESL. Obviously, some will. Yep. I know they're American fans, but you know, I wouldn't have said this the biggest sport for them over there. I think it's mad. And you're hearing mm. Pat- Patrick Banford summing up saying, you know, it's crazy how much uproar there is when money's involved. But, you know, the shade we have over some issues in our game in terms of equality and race are silenced. Yeah. Imagine now we had we had the scenario where Rudiger actually last year got racially abused in the game and Boris Johnson came and said, oh, we need to put more regulations in place for racism. It would change so much, but it's mm. not the same. I think what's more fascinating in terms of the government here is that in our world, right, everything, you know, greed from organizations cripples so many people, whether it's housing, transport, legal system, because that's what capitalism does to an extent, whether you're pro it or for it, you know, that's kind of what tends to happen is uh, those that bomb of the scales are hard done by because they don't have the money mm. to do so. So what I find really interesting about this is we've got Boris Johnson piping up for, you know, the keeping football away from the ESL, but this capitalist attempt is something which he should align with, you know, which is mm. which is quite mad. So the government are, you know, get a big red cross for me on this because of how they are generally in our society. But moving on to FIFA and UEFA, 
they're now the good guys. Why? You know, the two governing... <laughs> and the, the Premier League. And the Premier yeah, League. The Premier League. They're, yeah. they're, not, they're not good guys. You know, the two governing bodies have been riddled with corruption. You know, we've discussed that before with the Qatar World Cup, which has yeah. led to many unethical deaths in terrible conditions. We've had Platini, Set Blatter have been disgraced. You know, people should cheer. You know, we're cheering victory for football fans everywhere, but we're picking the lesser of two evils, you know? I mean, whose fault is it that we have these anti-competitive leagues? Like we're saying, oh yeah, it's really bad about how much money is in board and all that sort of stuff. Well, who let them get that way? You can't go and say yeah. to City, oh, you've won the league now. Stop, let, let's stop spending money, guys. No, because <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the whole point. These clubs want to keep growing and growing and they need to be checked by someone else. It's not, it's, Pep Guardiola won't say, ah, you know what, lads, we, we've won the league three years in a row. Kevin De Bruyne, you're going to go to Bournemouth now. Because we, we don't need you anymore. We want Bournemouth to be yeah. better. So we're going to sell you so they have a chance. No way. It's never going <laughs> to happen. They're going to keep growing and growing and growing. That's what benefits yeah. them. And ultimately, the fault is at UEFA and FIFA because they've allowed these clubs to get monstrous in size, preventing others from reaching that level with dodgy FFP rules, as I've mentioned before. So the game is unbalanced, broken and anti-competitive. And then also we're blaming owners. Get Kroenke out, you know, get the Glazers out. Fenway, we don't need you. Mm. But like, it's not their fault because I said earlier, why Why should the Glazers care? Well, you think, you think mm. the Glazers are going to... Okay, if I rip up my season ticket live on YouTube, you think the Glazers are going to ring me and be like, Eches, please don't do it. Like, <laughs> we really, really need you. You know, these. what we've done is we've allowed these powerful men to come into our leagues, which is fine, but we've allowed them to come in unchecked and they treat the clubs as a business, as they should. Yeah, uh, football. Had, we we fantasize about you know owners being fans of the club, and that's just not the way it is when you're getting mm. involved with people that have no affiliation to Arsenal whatsoever. Oh, Stan Kroenke doesn't come to um, fan forums. Did does it say anywhere that he should? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it's like it's disgusting. It's like, yeah, it is disgusting, and it is terrible, and it is horrible. But I think because you don't have the regulations in place to either get owners that are more invested, you could put that in if you wanted to. It's pretty hard to because football's a business. Mm. But more so about clubs in terms of size, you can definitely control that with regulations in place. Then I think fans kind of need to move on from this whole facade of like owners need to care. And we need to kind of look more in terms of bodies that we're celebrating are the reason why we've got into this mess in the first place. You know, UEFA, the Premier League and um, FIFA. Yeah, no, no, I completely agree. So that's all for, for this week. Thank you so much, Eches, for um, the research there and the insights on this topic. You won't be able to escape this topic, even if you don't like football, because it's been absolutely all over the press mm. and has dominated the week's, the week's headlines. And to an extent, rightly so. I mean, football is a massive uh, industry, is a very high-value industry, and is one that has obviously got a lot of uh, sentimental value for a lot of people uh, in in this country but hopefully we'll start to see some actual um reform on the back of this but as i mentioned in the podcast i just think that's not going to happen but anyway as long <laughs> as long as um as long as the premier league keeps trucking and as long as the champions league is still as it is then we'll continue making a podcast and that's all that matters isn't it so thank you all so much <laughs> for for listening and um yeah we'll, we'll see you next time cheers guys